back at it. Crazy. <laughs> oh, God, man. Well, when you put the gloves on, you don't know what's going to happen. Just one of those things, man. Just You just pray he doesn't hurt someone. And we're back at the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Quinn, with my great friend, Dom DeTola. And we're just a couple of comics who love sports, talking sports. And we're going to get right into this next episode, The Boxer. The crazy man. I think that's pretty accurate. Ike Iabiabucci. Yes, Ike Iabiabucci. I want to have a quick shout out to uh, our friend Elias McCollish, one of our loyal listeners who is a huge boxing fan. And uh, he was the one that brought this guy up uh, a few months ago. I had never heard of him before. And when he started talking about this gentleman, I was like, there is no way that this is a real person. Yeah, this is one of these guys who kind of gets lost in the shuffle, like we've kind of talked about. But he did it to himself as opposed to these other guys. So he could have been one of the biggest heavyweights in this late 90s era of heavyweights. He really should have been. I mean, he was talented enough to be one of the best boxers in the world, possibly of all time. But as we'll never know, we will not only never know, um, he got in his own way and his mental issues got in his own way. And, uh, thank you again, Elias, for bringing this gentleman up because it was a, uh, very interesting trip down, uh, crazy lane down to insane town yeah well i I would have never have uh, known about him so that's why we really appreciate if anybody has athletes that they want us to talk about you know shoot us an email at the sports experience podcast at gmail.com but let's get right into this man he was born in nigeria yeah born uh february i believe 9th 1973 in uh igu ochi i'm gonna mispronounce this nigeria um uh Almost like Christian Okoye, only he's not the Nigerian nightmare. He is the Nigerian, good God, what the hell is going to happen? <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, no, but uh, he's a very big dude. Um, 6'2", ends up being 235. So, I mean, just a very stout heavyweight with reach. With pure muscle. Yeah, just pure muscle. This dude is like chiseled, like an Adonis. Yes. I, like, he's, if you wanted to create a heavyweight boxer in a lab, it is this guy as far as his body type. And uh, he really got into boxing late, though. Well, I thought it was interesting. I think he was like uh, 18, 19. 16, 17. 16, 17. Yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. he was watching Buster Douglas knock out Mike Tyson. Yeah. And he was um, uh, planning a career. He had kind of had a career path set for him where he was going to join the Nigerian military. Yeah. Which, when we talk about his mental issues later, maybe boxing was good for him because maybe some more crimes would have happened if Nigeria <laughs> ever went to war with him. Yeah, we, we never would have known, but he got so inspired by this Buster Douglas knockout that he said that he really wanted to see what he could do with boxing. Um, and, I mean, he immigrated in what? 1993. 93 with his mom to Dallas. Yeah, his uh, mother, I believe, was a nurse yeah. and ended up immigrating. But like after he saw that Douglas fight, he started boxing as an amateur in Nigeria, and he eventually beat the 1996 bronze medalist Duncan Dokawari. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. as, a, as an amateur. And you're thinking like, man, this guy has a lot of talent. He started late. Maybe he's a late bloomer. We can really you know, see what we have with this guy. And, you know, you go to Dallas, a big American city, and he can really maybe turn pro if he really puts his mind to it. Well, that's what I saw when he got to Dallas is that he immediately won the state Golden Glove in, in heavyweight in 94. And yeah, city and state. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to give it up to him for that because that's, I mean, 
if if there's anything the to show that you're going to be a great boxer is winning the Golden Glove state title. So there you go. And uh, by '94, he already has a former world welterweight champion, Curtis Cox, in his corner as his coach and his trainer. I Which mean, is good. Yeah. I he, mean, he, that's what he needs. It's it's exactly what he needs because he has a good support system around him. Like you're really rooting for this guy. You know, a great immigrant story. You know, somebody who kind of found something late, but fi- finds his niche in life. Like, you're actually actively rooting for him. Yeah, well, if you watch any of these early fights, um, a lot of his fights are ended in the second. Of he, these is, early... he has heavy hands. He is a great puncher. He is just so much more physically dominant than these guys in these lower ranks. And and his first professional fight, um, October 13th, 1994, he gets his second round knockout against uh, Ishmael Garcia. Yeah. And... You can really see, okay, there's something with this guy. Let's start promoting him and seeing how he handles better competition. And he does. My God, he does. His next, I I read this, in his next 15 fights, he has seven knockouts. Yeah. And these are early round knockouts, too, like just flooring people. And uh, he's improved so much. He's 16 0. He's 16 0. He's established himself as a contender. And uh, what the boxing world decides for him is he gets a shot against somebody that people were calling the New Zealand version of Mike Tyson. Yeah, the, everybody was saying that this guy, David Tua, was going to be the next big heavyweight. Yes, so, yeah. like, he and he was, was a, he was a great boxer during yeah. his career, one of the best. Well, this is the era of the great heavyweights. Yes. You it, know, so like we have all these great heavyweights, and this fight between David Tua and, and Ike is so ridiculous that I watched a ton of highlights from it, and the commentator right off the bat are like, it, he's like, did these guys know this fight's going 12 rounds? Because they feel like his fight's ending in the third because they are just teeing off on each other right off the bat. Yeah, uh, June 7th, 1997 at Arco Arena in Sacramento, California, where the Kings play. Both of these guys face off for the WBC uh, International Heavyweight title. God, there's so many stupid belts in boxing. Oh, I know. But um, Tua was 27-0 and heading into this fight. So, I mean... Every- Two undefeated boxers going up against each other. It's everything you want. Yeah, and um, you had brought this up. This fight actually set the heavyweight record for punches thrown with 1,730, and Ike threw 975 of them, which is still a record. Well, I thought it was crazy, too. He averaged 81 per round, mm-hmm. and the average for a heavyweight fight was 50. And the, and the thing is that made it so incredible to watch is two is giving it right back to him. Exactly. That's why when you see that there's 1,700 punches thrown, they're both just literally lighting each other up. And But they're so tough. Both of them are so tough, just completely, you know, just stone-jawed, taking them from every every angle from each other. And the fight goes 12 rounds. They can't yeah. knock each other out. No, it goes to decision. And in a very close decision, but he did win the fight. Ike wins. Yeah. Ike is now 17-0. and 0 and With just a huge defeated. win. With a huge win, he gets the international title belt, and he beats a guy people were calling the next Mike Tyson. Yeah. And you would think he'd be on top of the world. <laughs> but this is where we start to see his mental illness come into question, and he pretty much starts chop-blocking himself. Yeah, he... Um, as, as fantastic and as talented of a boxer as Ike was... Um, in his prime, he is uh, definitely struggling with some inner demons and some mental issues. 
even in, even in the immediate aftermath of this David Tua fight, which is sad, but he acts like such an asshole, you can't feel sorry for him. So you know? I want to talk about this David Tua fight real quick. So David Tua was this next big heavyweight. I, I, Biabuchi wasn't, he was an unknown fighter. Yeah, he, so, he just came out of nowhere. He's not someone who was scouted from the time he was little or exactly. started early. He just shows up and starts beating people. And people thought that this is where he was going to stop because David was like on this professional level to where Ike really should have been handled. And you see that the the amount of stamina he had through this fight is so insane Yeah, that it, it's so crazy. But literally two months after this fight ends Mm -hmm. he kidnaps his ex-girlfriend's son who's 15 who's 15 and drives into a concrete wall off of i-35 north of austin texas Mm -hmm. and the uh, court report said that he was attempting suicide yeah he he honestly gets very lucky in this respect is that since he's attempting suicide he could have gone to prison for a very long time yes especially since he injured the boy so badly he can't even walk properly yeah to this day he has a a forever limp and I'm, i'm unsure as to what it is but the report was the kid will never walk correctly again and so which is tragic and it's like why would you do something like that because he was so mentally well, obviously, yeah. mentally out to lunch. But uh, what ends up happening is he's sentenced to uh, 120 days in jail, which I find ridiculous. I mean, athletes are very pampered by our society I when I read that ruling. Weirdly light. You know, you're like looking at it. You're like, wait, did he not do what I just read? Me- mental issues aside, if you hurt a teenager that you freaking kidnapped yeah. to that extent and you're only serving that many days in jail... And a $500,000 civil suit fine, where in boxing, you just fight one more time and your debt's clear yep. to society, basically. You're like, oh, God. And, but I think, to me, that was the point where if a judge sent him to prison for maybe, like, two years or sent him to a mental institution for, like, five or something, granted, this prime is erased, his life could have been salvageable. Yes. You know, he may have learned his lesson if he got the proper treatment or was given a proper punishment for the actual kidnapping crime and injury crime that he committed. Well, we were talking about this uh, pre-podcast that sometimes athletes' mental illness are brushed under the rug because they're making all the people around them so much money. They're make they're they're creating so much you know opportunities for people around them that their mental illness is just kind of disregarded and this is very much with him because even right after this he kind of starts to get his alter ego on yes and he has a very strange alter ego if you want to go into that well it's one that i mean i have to say he sounds like a crazy person yeah he his alter ego is the president and this was a nickname from when he was in golden gloves because his his first name is ike Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, uh, I forget the Dwight slogan. Eisenhower. But I forget the slogan. What was the slogan? Uh, I like Ike. I like Ike. So yeah. people were chanting, "I like Ike," um, in, in his first couple of you know boxing. So he became the president. And then after this incident, his team said that he kind of be- it became like his alter ego. Yeah, he really thought he was a world leader. Yeah, like in his own mind, you know, tripping off to crazy town. He thought he was the president and. When his trainers and promoters kind of picked up on this, they almost had to feed into it because he was such a stubborn ass that they would 
appease him. Yeah. They would be like, look, Mr. President, I know you don't want to go down to the weigh-in, but since you are so regal and so wonderful, you must for the public. And like to be, I have mental issues myself, but nothing like that. No, My that's, God. yeah, no, he was definitely outside of his, uh, outside of his mind. I mean, he was just so crazy. So he comes back after this uh, jail sentence uh, 13 months later mm-hmm. and has his first fight. And he fights uh, July 9th, 1998, and he beats Tim Day. And then he has another fight in September, uh, September 4th, 98, and wins again. So he is 19-0. and 0. And it's really, you can see, he is just like, as far as boxing goes, dominating, you know? But yeah. as far as outside of, outside of boxing... There should have been some, you know, help given to him, but that's just not the way it goes. But he's so good, and I think that's what I think that's what exacerbates his sad story is that he keeps getting chances. Yeah. <laughs> and because he's so good, they set up a fight with Chris Bird, nineteen ninety two silver medalist, future heavyweight champion, and he is undefeated. He's twenty six and zero, so yeah. he's getting another shot at a top contender like a David Tua in Chris Bird, And they set up that fight and both of them go at it. Well, they say the winner of this is going to be top contender for the belt. So this is his biggest fight ever. Um, and Chris Bird is in this time is talked about the man who can't be knocked out. So he probably has the best defense in the heavyweight division. Yeah. And he was super confident heading into this fight. And I think that's almost what helps Ike when he fights guys like Tua and bird is that he's such an unknown. He's like Charlie day and it's always sunny wild card bitches. Oh, he was such a wild card. (laughs) He was such a wild card. But I feel like he had such stamina that he would just constantly overwhelm guys with punches. Yeah, no. And in boxing, you want, you to me, everyone that boxes is at least a little bit crazy. Okay. And not in a negative way, but you have to be so mentally like, don't give a fuck that someone else is there to knock you out. Yeah, the the willingness to take punishment. It's like those stupid shirts that Karens wear at the office. You don't have to be crazy to work here, but it sure helps. <laughs> Oh, I took that to another extent, but I mean, it, it's the whole thing with boxing is you, you have to be a little bit, you know, out to lunch to accept beatings that are going to come your way and also beat the hell out of somebody else. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our sports experience podcast is brought to you by Angle Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, no, you're right. It's definitely... Uh it's got to be it's got to take a toll on your mental state too i mean it, it, it's pretty wild so he gets into this fight with chris bird and uh bird i think was the first round and then yeah bird won the first round but I then it just, was all ike after that yeah it, and you could see that his defense just isn't enough no and it's just that steady stream of punches you saw with tua like he could, when he knocked him down the first time with a left hook he just I think Bird was even shocked that that happened. Like, he was just, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, but you could see that he was done after yeah, that. Yeah, and by, by the fifth round, he grounds Bird again, and Bird's kind of struggling up on the ropes, and Ibiabuchi just comes up and just finishes him off yeah. just with a flurry of punches. Some of them are pretty – I mean, they're completely legal, but it's just ugly to watch someone, you know – have their like half defense up because yeah. they're so staggered and then you're that's why when the ref comes in 
you're like probably oh. came in a little too late. Yeah, you're like, oh, all <laughs> right. And then I love this from the boxer that always lose. They always like throw their hands up, like, what the fuck? Yeah, and then right. you're just like, dude, you were about to die. <laughs> it's like that Simpsons when Homer dresses as Krusty and is beating the hell out of like the Hamburglar character, and that one kid's like, stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> Yes, but but he wins. He's twenty and zero. Twenty and zero, top contender for the heavyweight belt. So he has this av- availability when the belt of it. You know what I mean? And he has Lennox Lewis of all people in his sights. Yep. And there are conflicting stories of whether Lewis wanted a piece of him or you know whether this fight would have happened. But like, it's almost like our Charles Haley episode where Jimmy Johnson was saying like, "Look, I can't deal with, or like I can't deal with crazy." I can deal with smart. I can deal with a little bit of crazy. Yep. His, his crazy is a little bit uh, a little bit too much, as we'll see. And what makes me sad and angry about all of this is like the two of fight happens and all the shit with the car accident, whatever. But you beat Chris Bird. You're 20 and 0. Like you're on a gravy train with biscuit wheels. Ooh. Get excited. Like, I know. This is where it really should have turned around, but this is because nobody addresses his mental illness. He gets diagnosed later as bipolar, something, something, something. You know how those all have extras on him. But he is definitely completely insane. And I feel like the fact that he didn't get punished for almost killing his ex-girlfriend's son kind of feeds into this idea that he's not going to get punished because he's the president he's untouchable he's he's the the president it it, it gets these mentality that these guys are untouchable yeah but instead of being an eisenhower president he goes into full crazy edia mean president at that point but uh and the thing is is he's such a hot commodity after this fight but he turns down future fights in like the six figure seven figure range so this is crazy so right after this fight he's offered 700,000 to fight Jeremy Williams yeah turns it down and then he's offered a million to fight Michael Grant and he turns it down which are these are two of these the bet like Grant I think eventually won a belt yeah. down the road so these are like these heavyweight tops where they're like hey do you want to be the top 5 you need to fight these guys and he just keeps turning it down turning it down um, he's in Vegas at the time, and he... I, I wanted to bring up one more okay. thing about the bird fight, because we had talked about this before. This should have been a clue, like, you know how you have the trail of breadcrumbs? This oh, should yeah. have been the clue that something was seriously wrong with this guy. Is Before the fight, he almost refused to go out. He had one of the people in his corner. He was wanted a Snickers bar before the fight, and he wouldn't go out there. It's almost like Wayne's World 2 where the guy was like, and Ozzy needed 1,000 brown M&Ms to fill a brandy glass. He had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Or he wouldn't go out. Yeah. No, like, nasty business, really. But we got the M&Ms, and Ozzy had a great show. But no, it, at that point, you should have gone like, this guy needs counseling. Yes, like, no, and his unfortunately his corner didn't see it that way because sometimes they feel like he might lose his killer mentality, his you know whatever. So they went out and they got him that live chicken. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> One whole chicken, just like you said, Pepper. <laughs> just like you said. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Is I feel like it's just these guys' mental state gets sh- swept under the rug, and it's it reverberates and hurts more people than just them yeah and you know that whole um expression like walking on eggshells 
I can't even imagine what that was like. Yeah. Especially with him if he went into like a depressive state or like an angry state. And like you, you don't even know who you're talking to. Are you talking to Ike or are you talking to the president? Yeah. Or you, or somebody who might end up capturing you. Yes. <laughs> like, exactly. But like you were saying, uh, by July 99, he's on top of the world. He's on top of the world, but then things start to happen. Like the mental illness and the violence and the anger start coming out. So in July of 99, the, uh, at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Vegas, um, a lady of the night who was an es- from an escort service uh, went to his room. And, uh, well, a little tussle broke out. Yeah, I want to bring this up because I feel like some men don't understand this. I mean, maybe some women don't understand this, that um, call girls or sex workers are allowed to say no. Exactly, yeah. And... I feel like this is what happened was she kind of showed up and was like, Hey, I don't really want this situation. And he kind of snapped at that point. Cause there was, there was stuff that said that ha- happened between them, but it sounded very much like a standard police report, if you will. Yeah, no. Um, the, the way it appa- allegedly went down yeah. is she was under the impression that she was just going to strip for him. She was just there to take off dance. her clothes, dance, you know, maybe get a little champagne room action if he ponied up more dough, but nothing to the extent that he wanted exactly. allegedly. And uh, some violence happens yes. in the hotel room. He he got extremely violent with her, and then I believe she left, called the police, mm-hmm. and then the police um, raided essentially his hotel room, and he barricaded himself in the bathroom. And yeah, but just, this is where it gets fucked up. They here. just kept shooting pepper spray underneath it. They they smoked him out with pepper spray. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad that he locked himself in that room because if he had busted open the door, the police busted open the door, that could have been a very violent blaze of glory type situation for they him. They definitely could have opened up fire. I mean, he's huge black man. This is America. But they didn't. I mean, he essentially barricaded himself in the bathroom and it, i can't imagine what it's like to get bombed with pepper spray oh, but it's got to be i wonder how much it took that's, I, I imagine a lot i that's what i mean is like how much were you shooting in there yeah because like, that was what they out. said was like they kept shooting it underneath the door um but i'm luckily they took him in um and this is the first time. So they take him in. He gets um, processed and everything processed. Yeah. And I feel like this is the first time that they assess his mental state. They're like, this guy has been out in the world for how long? Exactly. And what they end up finding out through this situation is that he was accused of something similar in December of 1998 at the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. Yes. With a sex worker and things like that. And every you're starting to see all the pieces of the puzzle come together that this man is not right. Yes. Not mentally fit enough to exist in society. Exactly. And he needs to obviously get put away. So he gets... um, He ends up getting bailed out, though, and starts training again. Which I I thought that was weird as shit. But this is, again, I feel like he's not past his mental state so he's like almost delusional in that he probably thinks he's gonna like he's gotten away with it he's again he's gonna get out exactly because he's, he's like, the president i got a train for my fight it's coming up in you know 2000 i've got i've got someone to beat up down the road that isn't a sex worker exactly but what they end up doing with this bail is that there are other accusations two more from the state of arizona yep and that's when his bail was remanded is that these aren't one-off incidents for this guy no 
And he's seriously sick. From my research is he was never a guy that ever respected women. He like respected his mom and then thought women were, and I quote from what I had read, were second class citizens. Yes. Which is a horrible mental health stew to have going on upstairs for anybody. Well, this is why I stated that some people don't understand that sex workers are allowed to say no. I bet he like almost couldn't even understand that. No, like he, he it didn't compute in his brain yeah. that no was an answer. And I mean, he would be doing probably the same thing if he wasn't boxing, but that he's a 21 or a 20 and 0 heavyweight top contender and the president. Yes. <laughs> who's going to say no to me? Yes. <laughs> like, no. And you're right. I feel like the boxing almost has nothing to do with what he, the way he felt about women and the way he eventually treated them. Um, but he ended up getting, I think he gets 20 years, right? Well, what ends up happening is for a while there, he's not even deemed fit to stand trial. And oh, they yes. diagnose him with bipolar disorder, yes. which I'm sure is just one of the many disease mental illnesses and diseases that um he has because i saw i saw an article where he came out saying that he's not crazy it yeah. was like a state statement that he made he said like i'm not crazy and everyone's like no you're, you're like, crazy I'm, I'm not a i'm an amateur psychologist and you're pretty fucking crazy yeah exactly <laughs> but uh what ends up happening though is he doesn't plead guilty or innocent Yes, this I found this. When he's finally mentally fit enough to stand trial, what ends up happening is he takes an Alford plea. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar, an Alford plea is basically pleading guilty while not admitting guilt because there's evidence there against you. So you don't end up going to trial. You take an Alford plea. And that's exactly what he took. And what ends up happening at sentencing is he's sentenced two to 10 years for battery and then three to 20 years okay. for the sexual assault. Yeah. So they're basically locking him up. Yeah. I mean, they're locking him up and hoping that his mental state gets better and he's thrown in a Nevada prison. And uh, oddly enough, he didn't waste time while he was in prison. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. He immediately starts educating himself, which I'm like, wow, I thought he'd be like rubbing his feces on the wall and like starting prison riots, but he's not. He got three associates degrees. Well, let me let me say this. When you're incarcerated and you're diagnosed bipolar, they essentially force feed you meds. Some people yeah. don't think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing for people that need it. Well, that, and that that I was just going to say I agree with you. I don't think it's I think it's a person to person evaluation. Yes. And he is one of the people who needs it. And it's not like a, he has a long history of violence and violence against women and being mentally unstable. Yeah, yeah. Unstable. It's not like if they started force feeding him meds after the car accident, just immediately after I'd be like, okay, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But at this point you kind of have to, but I, and this is why I, this is what I think is he should have been evaluated after that. Exactly. Not force fed meds. I'm not even a big med guy, but no. I do understand that people, absolutely need them this is one of them and we i i have no idea i've never talked to this man before but it kind of looks like he turns his life around it, it does i mean the three associates degree from western nevada community college one in general studies one in business and one in management and yeah. then he got a paralegal certificate from some college in allentown pennsylvania doing it remote yeah like it's not that he's a dumb guy and because like, you know, when I had first started reading these, this criminal shit, I'm like, oh, he's selfish, you know, he's ignorant. And I'm like, 
when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh no, he's just crazy. Yeah, he's just crazy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and has a, a really a skewed view of the world that kept getting exacerbated by his corner, his his team, if it, you will. Yeah, and I have read stories about his mom and his brother, yep. particularly as he's kind of nearing the end of his prison sentence where they're like, oh, he did nothing wrong, like all this other stuff. And you're like, no, you are enabling this behavior. Yes. You are like... And you could probably see pre him getting busted, like they were, they would probably enable it, like you were saying. Like, yeah. It, unfortunately, I, it's, it's not... And nobody wins in those situations. And that's no. what makes it so tragic is that you have a 20-0 top heavyweight contender having everything taken away from him. And it's not like he's a Reuben Carter where he's one of the top middleweights, uh, goes to prison for racist reasons and loses the prime of his career and gets out for a crime he didn't commit. He was committing these crimes. Yeah, Bob <laughs> Dylan's not singing a song about him. Yeah, Bob Dylan's like, you should stay in there, right? Good boy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right. He was this heavyweight that could have been the best for a couple of years kind of thing. And if you watch any of those fights, it's hard to deny his ability in the ring. And this is why I'm so mad at the lack of help that he got. Well, it's almost like that line from a Bronx tale with Robert uh, De Niro where he said, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Yeah. And you cannot deny, despite everything that he did that was just so horrific to people, you can't deny how talented this guy was as a boxer. And that's what makes the story even more pathetic and tragic is that he threw it all away for what? Yeah. No, I nothing. mean, and, but uh, in 2007, you know, he uh, has his uh, case overturned by the Nevada State Supreme Court. But unfortunately, he's kind of in legal limbo for a while, especially considering he's not a citizen of the United States. Yep. So he's detained at an ICE facility in Eloy here. Here in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, in 2015. And, uh, you know, he just keeps having to play the waiting game and uh, and. Uh, April that, 2016, he ends up getting released, but then he goes back for violating his probation on an old warrant from 2003. Well, I saw something that, um, so in 2015, they released him, but I think he's on lifetime probation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and he didn't really like acknowledge that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he didn't realize, so when you're on probation, you have a warrant out, you have to resolve that. Yeah. And he just didn't really... Well, he's the president. He doesn't he's the have president. to. No, not at this point. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but so he gets reincarcerated in 2016, and this is right before he was going to get his citizenship. So Nigeria actually denied. Yeah, they his, said no. <laughs> yeah, his return and travel visa, and he keeps trying to get his citizenship in the United States. And um, I think he was released again in 2020. Yeah, it was. Uh, it says here uh, September 23rd, 2020, and right now he is uh, awaiting his citizenship. Yeah. And uh, if I'm Nigeria, I'm like, oh, no, you can stay there. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't come back. Yeah. Please don't come back. Well, I mean, it's it. I have to say it. It's one of the sad situations in boxing. And it really and one yeah. one quote I wanted to bring up. I had, we had talked about it before the, the podcast is uh, one of his promoters was talking to his trainer. OK. And this is when all of this stuff is going on, when they're finally starting to realize, like, no, that car thing wasn't a one and kidnapping wasn't a one-time thing. He had said, do you really want to be on ESPN one day as the trainer of the world heavyweight champion who murdered somebody? Because this guy 
it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, so scary that nobody was stepping in. Yeah, that I, he doesn't. He should not be absolved the blame. Because, no, not at you know, all. You're master and commander of your own destiny in your entire life, but the fact that nobody stood up and said like. We're going to take you to a place with padded walls for a while, and we're going to get you mentally fit enough, not even to box anymore, but just to exist in modern society. In society, yeah, because he really was, I mean, hurting regular people, and it hurt so many more people than than we could probably even imagine because he has all of these well, and accusations I'm, throughout and I'm Arizona wondering and Vegas. If, if there's... Not more, more of yeah. them because where there's smoke, there's fire. There might have been some ladies who were so traumatized that they never even spoke up. Yes. No, you're right. And that's what makes the entire thing sad is that now he is uh, almost 48 years old. He said, you know, even when he was in prison, he was talking about a, an eventual comeback and eventual comeback fights. And but that's, I mean... I mean, Tyson, you know, is having these exhibitions and stuff now, but he actually turned his life around. I have no idea what to expect out of the president. I mean, <laughs> could I, you know, two years down the road, I mean, we're living in just an acid trip fever dream of a world now. Who knows? Maybe he could come back fighting. Yeah. Just send knows? him on out there. 48. He, ooh. He might, get a, he might get an exhibition against Tyson. Who knows? <laughs> I just hope they play Hail to the Chief as his intro song. That oh, would be so gosh. amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know who was in his corner, but they really missed out on that one. Oh, God. That would have been just epic. Yeah. Oh, God. But he really is a president. Sex scandals, violence, trips to crazy town. If anybody's a president, it's like E.B. Ibuchi. Well, I feel like he is the guy that we all... He's like the what-if guy in boxing because he he's never defeated and he was never really challenged almost. If you, if you watch, I mean, the David Tua fight, he... It was it was even, but it was obvious that he won. Yeah, and the, the bird fight. It was obvious obviously that, the better fighter that night. Yes, but and the biggest what if? I like how you brought it up, and I had alluded to it previously. The biggest what if would have been the Lennox Lewis thing. Oh yes, is that Lennox Lewis in the early two thousands? He was the guy yep. of the heavyweight division. Would Ike have won? I have no idea, especially with Lewis at the top of his game. But, you know, you think about a challenger for him. Why not this dude with tremendous reach, a little bit out to lunch mentally? I mean, who the hell knows? That could have been some epic fights there, you know? You could have had Lewis Ike 1, Lewis Ike yeah. 2, Lewis Ike 3. I mean, that could have really skyrocketed heavyweight boxing Again. and kept it, you know, relevant as far as, you know, the public interest. Yeah. Because you would have had two top contend or two top contenders going at it. Yeah. Definitely yeah. the biggest what if guy. Definitely the biggest what if guy. Hail to the chief. I give you a Hey everybody, this is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel the sports experience podcast and we're on instagram to tolo dominic and myself c quinn comedy so give us a follow all around um we're always recording right here at angle studio thank you all very much <laughs>